Section fifty of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter eighty one. London, September twelfth, Old Style, seventeen forty nine. Dear boy, it seems extraordinary, but it is very true, that my anxiety for you increases in proportion to the good accounts which I receive of you from all hands. I promise myself so much from you that I dread the least disappointment. You are now so near the port which I have so long wished and laboured to bring you safe into, that my concern would be doubled, should you be shipwrecked within sight of it. The object, therefore, of this letter is, laying aside all the authority of a parent, to conjure you as a friend, by the affection you have for me, and surely you have reason to have some, and by the regard you have for yourself, to go on, with assiduity and attention, to complete that work which, of late, you have carried on so well, and which is now so near being finished. My wishes and my plan were to make you shine and distinguish yourself equally in the learned and polite world. Few have been able to do it. Deep learning is generally tainted with pedantry, or at least unadorned by manners. As, on the other hand, polite manners and the turn of the world are too often unsupported by knowledge, and consequently end contemptibly, in the frivolous dissipation of drawing-rooms and rules. You are now got over the dry and difficult parts of learning. What remains requires much more time than trouble. You have lost time by your illness. You must regain it now or never. I therefore most earnestly desire, for your own sake, that for these next six months, at least six hours every morning, uninterruptedly, may be invaluably sacred to your studies with Mr. Hart. I do not know whether he will require so much, but I know that I do, and hope you will, and consequently prevail with him to give you that time. I own it is a good deal, but when both you and he consider that the work will be so much better, and so much sooner done, by such an assiduous and continued application, you will neither of you think it too much, and each will find his account in it. So much for the mornings, which from your own good sense, and Mr. Hart's tenderness and care of you, will, I am sure, be thus well employed. It is not only reasonable, but useful, too, that your evenings should be devoted to amusements and pleasures, and therefore I not only allow, but recommend, that they should be employed at assemblies, balls, spectacles, and in the best companies, with this restriction only, that the consequences of the evening's diversions may not break in upon the morning's studies, by breakfastings, visits, and idle parties into the country." At your age you need not be ashamed, when any of these morning parties are proposed, to say that you must beg to be excused, for you are obliged to devote your mornings to Mr. Hart, that I will have it so, and that you dare not do otherwise. Lay it all upon me, though I am persuaded it will be as much your own inclination as it is mine. But those frivolous, idle people, whose time hangs upon their own hands, and who desire to make others lose theirs too, are not to be reasoned with and, indeed, it would be doing them too much honour. The shortest civil answers are the best. I cannot, I dare not, instead of I will not, for if you were to enter with them into the necessity of study and the usefulness of knowledge, it would only furnish them with matter for silly jests, which, though I would not have you mind, I would not have you invite. I will suppose you at Rome, studying six hours uninterruptedly with Mr. Hart every morning, and passing your evenings with the best company of Rome, observing their manners and forming your own, 
and I will suppose a number of idle, sauntering, illiterate English, as there commonly is there, living entirely with one another, supping, drinking, and sitting up late at each other's lodgings, commonly in riots and scrapes when drunk, and never in good company when sober. I will take one of these pretty fellows, and give you the dialogue between him and yourself, as, I dare say, it will be on his side, and such as I hope it will be on yours. Englishman. Will you come and breakfast with me to-morrow? There will be four or five of our countrymen. We have provided chaises, and we will drive somewhere out of town after breakfast. Stanhope. I am very sorry I cannot, but I am obliged to be at home all morning. Why, then, we will come and breakfast with you. I can't do that neither. I am engaged. Well, then, let it be the next day. To tell you the truth, it can be no day in the morning, for I neither go out nor see anybody at home before twelve. And what the devil do you do with yourself till twelve o'clock? I am not by myself. I am with Mr. Hart. Then what the devil do you do with him? We study different things. We read. We converse. Very pretty amusement indeed. Are you to take orders, then? Yes, my father's orders, I believe, I must take. Why hast thou no more spirit than to mind an old fellow a thousand miles off? If I don't mind his orders, he won't mind my draughts. What, does the old prig threaten, then? Threatened folks live long, never mind threats. No, I can't say that he has ever threatened me in his life, but I believe I had best not provoke him. Pooh! You would have one angry letter from the old fellow, and there would be an end of it. You mistake him mightily. He always does more than he says. He has never been angry with me yet, that I remember, in his life. But if I were to provoke him, I am sure he would never forgive me. He would be coolly immovable, and I might beg and pray, and write my heart out to no purpose. Why, then, he is an old dog, that's all I can say. And pray, are you to obey this dry nurse, too, this same, and what's his name, Mr. Hart? Yes. So he stuffs you all the morning with Greek and Latin and logic and all that. Egad, I have a dry nurse too, but I never looked into a book with him in my life. I have not so much as seen the face of him this week, and don't care a louse if I ever see it again. My dry nurse never desires anything of me that is not reasonable, and for my own good, and therefore I like to be with him. Very sententious and edifying upon my word. At this rate you will be reckoned a very good young man. Why, that will do me no harm. Will you be with us to-morrow in the evening, then? We shall be ten with you, and I have got some excellent good wine, and will be very merry. I am very much obliged to you, but I am engaged for all the evening, to-morrow, first at Cardinal Albani's, and then to sup at the Venetian ambassadors. How the devil can you like being always with these foreigners? I never go among them with all their formalities and ceremonies. I am never easy in company with them, and I don't know why, but I am ashamed. I am neither ashamed nor afraid. I am very easy with them. They are very easy with me. I get the language, and I see their characters by conversing with them. And that is what we are sent abroad for, is it not? I hate your modest woman's company, your women of fashion, as they call them. I don't know what to say to them, for my part. Have you ever conversed with them? No, I never conversed with them but have been sometimes in their company, though much against my will. But at least they have done you no hurt, which is probably more than you can say of the women you do converse with. That's true, I own, but for all that, I would rather keep company with my surgeon half the year, than with your women of fashion the year round. Tastes are different, you know, and every man follows his own. 
That's true, but thine's a devilish odd one, Stanhope. All morning with thy dry nurse, all the evening in formal fine company, and all day long afraid of old daddy in England. Thou art a queer fellow, and I am afraid there is nothing to be made of thee. I am afraid so, too. Well, then, good night to you. You have no objection, I hope, to my being drunk to-night, which I certainly will be. Not in the least, nor to your being sick to-morrow, which you as certainly will be, and so good night, too. You will observe that I have not put into your mouth those good arguments which upon such an occasion would, I am sure, occur to you, as piety and affection toward me, regard and friendship for Mr. Hart, respect for your own moral character, and for all the relative duties of man, son, pupil, and citizen. Such solid arguments would be thrown away upon such shallow puppies. Leave them to their ignorance and to their dirty, disgraceful vices. They will severally feel the effects of them when it will be too late. Without the comfortable refuge of learning, and with all the sickness and pains of a ruined stomach, and a rotten carcass, if they happen to arrive at old age, it is an uneasy and ignominious one. The ridicule which such fellows endeavour to throw upon those who are not like them, is, in the opinion of all men of sense, the most authentic panegyric. Go on, then, my dear child, in the way you are in, for only a year and a half more. That is all I ask of you. After that I promise you shall be your own master, and that I will pretend no other title than that of your best and truest friend. You shall receive advice, but no orders from me, and in truth you will want no other advice but such as youth and inexperience must necessarily require. You shall certainly want nothing that is requisite, not only for your conveniency, but also for your pleasures, which I always desire shall be gratified. You will suppose that I mean the pleasures d'un honnête homme. While you are learning Italian, which I hope you do with diligence, pray take care to continue your German, which you may have frequent opportunities of speaking. I would also have you keep up your knowledge of the Jus Publicum Imperii, by looking over, now and then, those inestimable manuscripts, which Sir Charles Williams, who arrived here last week, assures me you have made upon that subject. It will be of very great use to you, when you come to be concerned in foreign affairs, as you shall be, if you qualify yourself for them, younger than ever any other was, I mean before you are twenty. Sir Charles tells me that he will answer for your learning, and that he believes you will acquire that address and those graces, which are so necessary to give it its full lustre and value. But he confesses that he doubts more of the latter than of the former. The justice which he does Mr. Hart, in his panegyrics of him, makes me hope that there is likewise a great deal of truth in his ecomeniums of you. Are you pleased with, and proud of the reputation which you have already required? Surely you are, for I am sure I am. Will you do anything to lessen or forfeit it? Surely you will not. And will you not do all you can to extend and increase it? Surely you will. It is only going on for a year and a half longer, as you have gone on for two years last past, and devoting half the day only to application, and you will be sure to make the earliest figure and fortune in the world that ever man made. Adieu. End of section 50. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.